Welcome to episode 36 of Building Blocks of Brendan. Today we connect with Chelsea, the founder and CEO of Blender Bites, the simplest way to have a smoothie. What's really interesting about our conversation today is really how Chelsea got the business onto the shelves. Typically, the story is quite slow and really cautious, but Chelsea really hopped you know, headfirst into this. Having experience within the distribution world and within the food world, she was able to get her products on the shelves with the manufacturer relatively quickly, and it's a pretty impressive story. Also, the, the company is now public, allowing you to buy shares within Blender Bites. Hope you guys enjoy this episode, learn a bit more about the CPG world, the quick smoothie world, and how really food is taking over the world, funny enough, being one of the fastest growing industries I've seen in my personal opinion. A lot of people on these podcasts have come from the food industry with the CPG goods and I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Hope you guys enjoy this episode, pick up some Blender Bites at your local store and enjoy a smoothie while listening to this podcast. My name is Chelsea Hodge and I'm the CEO and founder of Blender Bites. Blender Bites are organic superfood pucks for smoothies that take all of the mess, prep, and waste out of your daily smoothie routine. They're 100% organic and contain um, organic fruits and greens. And then we also add functional ingredients, so chia seeds and plant-based vitamins um, and different things to sort of elevate your smoothie experience. Uh, we're sold in over 850 grocery stores across Canada, including all of Canada's largest grocers, so Whole Foods, uh, Loblaws. Uh, Sobeys, Costco East, um, and many more. Nice. And I mean, brilliant idea makes making smoothies a lot easier. How did it really all start? Were you like a smoothie connoisseur? Did you make a lot of smoothies and you said, hey, there has to be an easier way? Like, how did the yeah. whole, how yeah. did the idea form? Or was it like something that was more of a longer process till built up being a real business? Yeah. So, well, I was working at Vega at the time. Um, and that's mm -hmm. kind of when the whole plant based smoothie trend was really taking off and I just loved the product so much. So I found myself, you know, making two or three smoothies a day, but you know, besides the Vega powder, I would add different things like, you know, organic berries and spinach and kale. Sometimes I'd add extra like chlorella and different things. So I just found myself having all these different packages on my counter, multiple bags of, you know, frozen ingredients in my freezer. And I lived in an apartment. So that was kind of annoying because there's no room for real food. <laughs> so I just, you know, was, I guess one day in my kitchen, actually, it's almost the birthday. It was January 23rd. The idea came up for me. So it's the birthday of Blender Bites. Um, but uh, yeah, I just th thought of an idea of just, you know, there's just got to be a simpler way to make smoothies that, you know, it doesn't require me to mix all these various ingredients together. So I took, you know, everything I wanted for my smoothie and I um, blended it up and I actually just poured it into a silicon muffin tin. And then I threw that muffin tin into the freezer that night. And then the next morning I popped out this little puck and I was like, wow, that was really convenient took me like literally five seconds to make a smoothie. The kitchen wasn't a disaster. There wasn't multiple ingredients I had to like, you know, go out and buy that morning. So I kind of just got my wheels turning and, um, you know, I was working at Vega, as I mentioned, and, you know, Charles was a great mentor for me and still is. And so I took the idea to him, the founder of Vega, and I said, Charles, what do you think about this? And he said to me, Chelsea, it's not a matter of if you should do it, it's who's going to do it first. And at that time, the easy smoothie category, uh, you know, hadn't really been born yet, right? So Blender Bites was very first to market in Western Canada. Uh, there was another another product in Eastern Canada called Evive that came out around the similar time. So, you know, her and I very much built this easy smoothie category in Canada and sort of taken it to where it is today. So, yeah, it was definitely born out of, you know, my own sort of necessity and need. And uh, I thought, well... You know, if it's simplifying my life so much, then why not simplify the lives of thousands of other people and hopefully millions of people? So that's where we're heading to. Uh, the, the silicone muffin, muffin tin was so smart because I had a similar <laughs> issue where I was—I okay. used to make a lot of smoothies in the morning, but then 
This was like obviously on university or even like living with roommates. The problem is Blender is very loud. Right? Yeah. A loud yeah. thing. So I was like, oh, I'm going to pre-blend it or I'm going to do something. And then I realized so then it's going to be just a frozen puck. So I had the same issue. So yeah. then I would try to sh- shove everything into like a little um, Tupperware. But then it was massive because it was just right. a, like half an apple. So mm. you really yeah, thought that simplest process. It just, yeah, exactly. And the great thing is, you know, Blender Bites, you don't even need that blender. So you can actually mm-hmm. take a puck or two pucks and mm-hmm. add some hot water or even cold water if you mm-hmm. want. It just takes a bit longer. And then you let, set it uh, sit it down on the counter for 15 minutes and then just shake it. And it's like ready to go. So by the time you're done, you know, showering, you have your breakfast mm-hmm. ready to go. So yeah, you definitely don't need a blender. We have a lot of consumers that are, you know, sort of going more in that direction now, especially mm-hmm. with the older crowd. They don't have blenders at home or don't want to use a yeah. blender. So um, yeah, it's a great option to, to make it that way as well. That's so interesting because like you said, it, you almost reinvented a whole category, the easy smoothie category. Yeah, easy smoothie category. Exactly. And then, you know, retailers mm-hmm. like Whole Foods now have kind of built a section around us. And for frozen, I mean, I'm sure everybody knows like the freezer category is the most expensive real estate and the hardest real estate you can get in a grocery store. So Mm -hmm. for them to now, you know, take a portion of their freezer space and sort of, you know, create something around us, it's pretty awesome. So you'll find blender bites and you'll find Evive, you'll find, um, you know, like the frozen coconut water, maybe some spirulina cubes or wheatgrass Mm -hmm. cubes. So they're like everything that, you know, would be an additional add on for smoothies is Mm -hmm. in this one set now. So it's pretty cool. It is wild how the C, you know, CPG and the grocery retail, how, how it's changed so much over the past, like, five years. How, like, oh, fresh huge. is becoming more popular. That I mean, yeah. what we used to call, like, healthier alternatives are now just, like, more of the standard alternatives. But even within, like, the five years, it went from, especially within Canada specifically, it went from, like, no shelf space mm-hmm. to, like, oh, we, there's no refrigeration for this to now, mm-hmm. I mean, more Whole Foods, more everything else, really being a whole category that has seen tremendous growth. Yeah. Um, so I've talked to a few people within the within the world, and it's yeah. They always said it was very challenging, like five years ago, to get anything in Canadian shelves. Now it's oh, huge, totally. like you said, huge market. They're kind of finally finally putting stuff uh, for yeah. consumers. Well, so, in the freezer category too, like the buyers have been dying for innovation. So you know, like traditionally, freezers kind of thought of as you know, your take home meals, Mm -hmm. unhealthy, you know, it's been sitting on a shelf for maybe a few months. So there's been a really negative connotation around the freezer category up until about two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. And it shifted dramatically. So now we're seeing a ton of better for you products, like, you know, the healthier ice creams and the low Mm -hmm. sugar products and, you know, blender bites and bone broths. And, you know, it's really become actually, uh, you know, a set in the grocery store that a lot of people turn to first. And especially with COVID and, you know, people not wanting to go into grocery stores more than once a week or twice a week, mm-hmm. you know, they've, they've turned to Frozen to sort of save them because now they can load up on products. They don't have to worry about expiration dates. Uh, you know, it can sit in your freezer for a year and you're good to go. So yeah, it's definitely, I would say probably the hot, the hot, uh, the mm-hmm. hot topic of the grocery world right now. The hot cold section. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. exactly. There you go. Yeah. The hot cold section. Uh, so, so, you start, you know, you have the idea, you're like, hey, this is me quite helpful. Yeah. How does it get started? Was it something you started, I mean, like selling on the side? Like, how do you, yeah. you have a great idea? How do you sell pucks? To I didn't, be, like, I didn't really want to waste any time. I knew it was kind of, yeah. you know, going to be a, one of those things where it's like, okay, I need to do this now. And, you know, a lot yeah. of people will take an idea and they'll start selling to their friends or farmers mm-hmm. markets or, you know, they'll kind of start mm-hmm. off slow. But I knew I needed to hit, I needed to hit hard. And I actually luckily was working as a distributor rep for an organic uh, food company at the time. So I, I called on all the retailers like Whole Foods and Fresh Street and IGA and Stong's and I had, you know, sort of befriended the buyers. 
So that was really helpful because then I, um, well, before that, obviously I had to figure out manufacturing. So it took, it took some time, I'd say probably a year and a half. I mean, I designed my own packaging. I formulated all the products myself, like literally in my kitchen. <laughs> and then I found a, a manufacturing uh, facility that I could rent out on weekends, uh, which was actually just a little popsicle shop in North Vancouver. So I rented out uh, Saturday and Sundays to, to manufacture and I, you know, went out and bought thousands of muffin tins, the same one I had in my kitchen from Canadian Tire and recruited my mom and my two aunts. And I said, okay, guys, this is my idea. Will you help me? And they supported me, you know, the whole process, the whole way through. And we manufactured first, um, yeah, out of that little popsicle shop and just, you know, but my first accounts were like the IGAs and the Whole Foods, right? So I hit the, I hit the major grocers right oh, away. Wow. Yeah, we had a really small distributor. Um, so we sold through them. And yeah, we just hit the lower mainland, mostly Vancouver stores. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I wanted to prove the concept. I think with any new product, you need to sort of, you know, prove that there's consumer demand and that it's going to have, uh, you know, good sales and a strong velocity. So mm-hmm. especially in Frozen, you're off the shelf in, you know, weeks if it's not selling. So, yeah, well, yeah. so we uh, we got to work and that was about a year and a half manufacturing ourselves with my family. And then um, we got a national distributor picking us up to sell all across Canada. And at that point, I knew, obviously, you know, our hands were sore. We couldn't make any more pucks. <laughs> So I found a really large manufacturing plant uh, in Ontario. And at the time, it was way too big for us. But uh, it was the best thing that ever happened because we grew into it so quickly, especially with Costco and, you know, these mass volume stores. So so we have a, a manufacturing uh, plant in Ontario now and everything's made there. And yeah, it's, it's evolved a lot over the last four years. Oh, wow. That, like you said, that's quite a unique jump because typically, like you said, it's like all the friends and family and then, you know, yeah. the farmer's market. But it was, yeah. it was a unique opportunity, like you said. I mean, that's what's also great. I always find like being an entrepreneur and having experience within industry to know like, yeah, Hey, I know absolutely. how this works. I don't, at least this is something I yeah, exactly. can start. Um, yeah. One thing that always comes up and that I always find interesting is Vancouver, especially in Canada, is like a food hotspot, like any, cause we're packaged good. Anything mm-hmm. related to food. It's like out of Vancouver and BC. Why do you think that is? Like, I know it's kind of funny. I, we joke about something being in the water out here, but it's true. Mm-hmm. If you look at a lot of the brands like Nature's Path, Vega, you know, Dea, like there's a tons, mm-hmm. of, you know, tons of them that have started uh, on the West Coast here. So I think we, you know, traditionally, I think we just have more balance in our life. You know, if you look at Ontario and Toronto and, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, the capital markets and, and, and the work mm-hmm. schedules and stuff, I think people put more value on sort of maybe health and wellness out here in the West. So naturally there's um you know some some innovators that are looking to like myself taking products to market that they you know sort of want to come up with the idea themselves and want to take to market but yeah it's a good question we uh we talk about that a lot amongst my my cpg friends mm-hmm. um and personally you know friends with quite a, quite a few of them right so mm-hmm. yeah it's interesting but it's been it's been invaluable for me because it's just a great mm-hmm. way to build a support network and you can learn off each other and use each other's resources and it's been, you know, it's been incredible to have those uh, people as mentors. So, yeah, it's it's always so interesting. Like I said, when I was living in Vancouver and just meeting people, like I'd say maybe a third, like quite a few of the entrepreneurs I met there were within the, you know, food mar- you know, food markets. And the funniest mm-hmm. thing is, I'm going to UBC. Uh, the story they would sell, you know, the MBA with the story they would sell is the Ernest ice cream and okay. Cardi's donut story. How you know they met in school like they, they met in a shop and then it's one of the more ubc successful at yeah. the time like stores but it was just funny how it's like that's the example then out east it's like oh we got tech or like another like industry it's so it was always such an interesting thing but i mean extreme success within the markets obviously and really shaping the way for a lot of innovation coming out of vancouver uh mm-hmm. more and more every year so yeah. 
one thing with distribution as you know is like number of products always matters like shelf space figure out which ones to do how did you figure out like which how many options do you sell when you start how did you figure out how many to have like how many flavors or yeah different types of pucks yeah i think with frozen it's like the key number well for us it's been three i think you know getting more than three facings in the freezer set is quite mm -hmm. difficult um and the retailers actually preferred to have two or three just to kind of see how it goes but you know, basically, I just looked at, um, you know, what are the top sellers of smoothies? And I did my research that way. And I found mm -hmm. out very quickly that, you know, the two top selling flavors of smoothies are some sort of berry flavored smoothie and some mm -hmm. sort of tropical uh, flavored smoothie. And I think at the time when I was formulating, green smoothies were really becoming a thing. So that's why we created our our green tropical smoothie and then our, our what's now called power berry. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I just kind of went with what I know is going to be more mainstream and, and sell, um, you know, sell the best. And I think, you got to be careful not to get caught up in too much of a niche product. You know, I wanted it to be a mainstream product. I didn't want, you know, to have too many ingredients in it, which would be unknown to consumers that would, you know, scare them off a little bit. I wanted to create this, um, this product to be, you know, sold in, in, in grocers across the country. And when I first launched, I thought, you know, stores like Whole Foods and stuff would definitely be mm -hmm. my my best, uh, my best stores. But in reality, it's actually like the Sobeys and the Loblaws and the real Canadian superstores. And it's more of the mainstream accounts that are, are producing, you know, the biggest numbers for us. And I think it's because there's a lot of consumers that want to eat healthier and, and make those healthy choices, but don't necessarily know how to make a smoothie or they try it and it tastes gross. So it get, it turns them off of, of the concept, right? I put too much chlorella in, or I don't know what chlorella even is. So, yeah. you know, they try their hardest and, and they can't quite nail that recipe. And so Blender Bites takes all that, uh, that guesswork out as well. So, you know, all you have to do now is throw in the puck, the recipe's created for you, you add water, mm -hmm. We uh, rebranded and reformulated our products. So now it's um, the, the three new names are Powerberry, Green Detox, and Vita Smoothie. Um, Vita Smoothie being our immune supporting 15 essential vitamins and minerals. So uh, the new names, uh, the new packaging, the rebrands really helped. And then also, you know, tweaking that, that taste just to make it a little bit more mainstream uh, and appeal to more consumers as well. That's, that's a big thing. I would, like finding a taste, finding how to go main, you know, making it more mainstream. When, yeah. How did how do you like how do you get that feedback? Obviously, it's you you have customers up, but did you have like a test? Like how did you how did you get feedback from the product? Was it really just from you know the community having individuals try it, kind of, or just based on sales? Like how were you able to come up and figure out how to make the tweaks? That yeah. make a more successful product. You know, consumers are, are quite great at voicing their opinions. And so, you know, I would get lots of emails and, you know, messages over time. And some people, you know, want banana taken out because they have allergies or, but I just kind of, you know, kept those notes in my head and, and, and learned mm -hmm. sort of to, to recognize what the consumer mm -hmm. wants. Um, one of our major accounts, actually, we, we did some taste testing with the account. So they actually helped us oh. to create our final recipe uh, based on their feedback. So you know, a lot of these buyers actually want to be involved in the process sometimes. Um, so that's, uh, what, you know, sort of what led us down the path of their final recipes. But yeah, a lot of it's just, you know, sort of feedback from your test market, friends and family target. I mean, if you're a bigger company, obviously you're going to go out and do some sampling and stuff. I mean, we never did that, but um, I just used my resources and, and the people in my network mm -hmm. to sort of give me feedback. For sure. Um, and obviously one thing with any good, especially with a uh, perishable good such as this, Sometimes like you said, distribution or like starting out can be difficult to figure out like packaging and everything else. Was that a challenge initially or because you had experience within this world, you kind of were able to get a hold of that? Because typically when I talk to a lot of founders, especially within the space early on, they always talk like packaging or figuring out how mm -hmm. to like 
make it so it doesn't like melt before it gets to, to the distrib- you know, to distribution yeah. sites or when the main like all the, you always hear all the horror stories of like waking up and then having to use your balcony as a freezer uh, sometimes. <laughs> but how, how were you able to kind of manage that early on? Was it something you had some experience with, or was it like a I think I just got a larger challenge. Yeah, I think I, I think I did just get lucky. And I think back to it, um, you know, just launching the six pucks per bag. You know, I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, well, you know, I, I would like to have enough supply for, to, you know, about one week worth of smoothies. Not everybody has mm-hmm. one every day. So I thought six was, you know, going to last a week. So I thought that was a good number. Mm-hmm. It was a good even number. Um, you know, and I looked at sort of other products in, in the freezer set, like, for example, a bag of frozen fruit. Okay, well, how many grams is that bag? Let's say 600 grams or 700 grams. Mm-hmm. So I wanted it to be similar in size. Um, you know, to the other products on the market so that consumers can do a quick analysis when they look at, you know, price points, especially, you know, like mm-hmm. comparing it to the different products. But yeah, I went with six. I just thought it was the right number. Um, it fit fit the bag really well. You want it to stand out on shelf. You want it to like, you know, have a nice presence on shelf. Mm-hmm. So um, I just, I went with it. I think, you know, looking back, maybe a, a bit of a smaller bag. There's thresholds with price points that I've really sort of learned. So, you know, for example, my competitor sits around, you know, $9.99, $10.99, which is, seems to be like, you know, a really great price point. And some stores have us at $14.99. So I think there's a bit of a, you know, a threshold on price point, even though, you know, per gram, we're the same, we're the same price actually per gram because our bag is bigger. But, uh, mm-hmm. you know, just having that lower SRP, I think is really important. So that's, and that's where it gets tricky is just really finding out, okay, what's that magic number that consumers are willing to take that first initial purchase because they're taking Mm -hmm. a risk the first time they buy that product and so they don't want to invest too much money uh that first time they try it right so so having that number is pretty crucial but it's just it's just a learning experience you just gotta you know go with your gut initially and uh do your Mm -hmm. your research on shelf and then adjust uh, you know over time i i think in your whole story i think it makes a lot of sense around like hey you have an idea you do some research and you you send it out there but then once you once it's out there, you have to really adjust and kind of see what, what the oh, market's yeah. saying, what the customers are saying, and kind of go yeah. from there. Because I think for a lot of people, it's the first step's always the hardest. And like, oh, it's not completely ready, but not nothing. You're never, it's not, no business ever like fully perfect when you launch. It's always like, hey, but getting exactly. feedback always makes you pivot and change. And it's always good yeah. to at least have a adaptive process which we keep seeing more and it's more. actually funny that you say that because a, a friend of mine years ago always used to say to me and it was like a, i think it was a honda car analogy and it's mm-hmm. just like just launch launch they just launched the car like it wasn't they knew it wasn't perfect but they just got it on the market and i think that's kind of like yeah. i always remembered i'm like just launch the product you know get it get that shelf space get that distribution and then you know yeah exactly tweak and, and use your customers like they're going to tell you what they want they're going to tell you exactly what's going to sell so listen to your customers and you know i think we've been through probably three or four formulation renditions mm-hmm. three or four packaging renditions already like almost every year it's evolving right so yeah and i think that's so crucial too it's like that old saying evolve or die adapt or die i mean yeah. you really have to um and that's why we actually adapted with adding functional ingredients into our products because I can see, especially in the U S market, like the whole trend was moving towards fu- functional beverage, right? You have to have functionality mm-hmm. now. Um, even like Evian water launched their, their new sparkling water that's enhanced with zinc and magnesium. Like it's just mm-hmm. like vitamins, minerals, immunity, functional ingredients is so top of mind for, for everybody right now. And if you don't have that, then it's going to be, you know, a tough sell. It, when you're touching on something I, I find truly interesting and we touch on this a bit, but I think a lot of people looking from the outside in, especially within the consumer packaged good, or I guess the food industry, it always seemed from the outside, it's like, oh, this is slower moving. But having talked to people and kind of spoken to people within the industry, it's, I think over the past few years, we've seen more innovation here than almost anywhere else in the world. Yeah. Like with the creation of uh, meat alternatives, with the creation of having more of a 
healthy lifestyle, like the frozen goods, everything is changing yeah. so fast that it is. I, I mean, I, I don't know the numbers, but probably one of the fastest or adapting industries of any industry I've seen just because consumer demands are changing so much. And oh. especially with COVID, everyone's lives have kind of changed. And one of those big things have also been the eating habits um, yeah. for many Absolutely. individuals. Absolutely. How do yeah. you, have you obviously COVID's been around for a while now? Have you do you see a big shift with COVID on like how the you know upsell the product or things had to be changed or was it pretty relatively similar for for you and your you know for you along the mm. way or did it affect distribution as well because of shutdowns? Yeah, I think you know it was kind of I don't know if it was foresight or just pure luck, but I launched our Vita smoothie, which was the first smoothie product that was enhanced with vitamins and minerals, um, and marketed as like a vitamin and sort of almost like a vitamin supplement. I launched that about two months before COVID hit, so I think it was just like really nailing that trend of like you know immune support and and people looking for products that are enhanced with vitamins. So that was really helpful, um, and we kind of started to like make our name that way. Um, but you know, COVID's been great in the, in for us in terms of product demand and consumers going on shelf mm -hmm. looking for products just like blender bites and i'd say especially with all you know the young families and parents that are at home right now homeschooling their kids they need something super quick super easy they don't want to just pop an ego in the in the toaster they want to have you know something that's like actually yeah. healthy for kids and kids love our product too even the green smoothie mm -hmm. they um you know they they just love the flavor of it so so we get a ton of feedback from consumers being like, you know, you saved the day in such a big way for us, mm -hmm. you know, with the homeschooling. But in terms of running a business and, you know, looking at profits and, and operations, it's been an absolute nightmare with, you know, freight and raw material cost. And, you know, we're, we bring up a lot of our, our uh, raw materials from overseas. So, you know, mm -hmm. obviously there's been an impact with being able to get, um, you know, containers up and, and different, um, you know, sort of logistics that way. Mm -hmm. So. But I think to myself, you know, if I can build a company at the success we're having, you know, at this rate and, and the sales mm -hmm. we're seeing during these times, then we can do anything. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not for sure. Yeah, it, a lot you of know, learning. It's so fun. It's so yeah. fun. I remember, um, and probably a lot of people have this similar experience is like when you look at you getting, eating healthier, doing anything healthier, like ease of use is such a big thing or it acts, yeah. ease of access. So I remember like, I was like, oh no, like I, I'm, I bought a lot of chicken and rice and I'm going to be healthy. I'm just going to make it. It's, it takes 30 minutes. This is fine. And then you never make it. And yeah, you're like, whoa, exactly. this is like, oh, whatever. You know, I don't want to buy it because it's, it saves so much time. And I think the big thing, especially like you're saying, was like when things got stressful, when homeschooling, the simplest things tend to work very well. And just being able to access this. Yeah. Um, and like, and thank you so much. I used to make smoothies. I used to make a lot of smoothies, but I was thankful that when I, this was when I was a little bit early and I could st steal, um, fruits and veggies from my family and kind of <laughs> use their freezer. And then I have to do myself. I'm like, yeah. I have say, yeah, I don't have to pay exactly. for all the mangoes and all the yeah. fancy things. Um, yeah. Then you realize like, okay, this is difficult. It's a, also, they never taste good. So then mm -hmm. I, so mm -hmm. we're, you know, seeing your product and stuff. I was like, this makes a lot of sense. Cause if you ever try to make a smoothie, it sounds very simple. Yeah. And it, I mean, it, you're really just throwing things together, but it's, it's the same thing like making a stir fry. Like, you know what the ingredients are, but the final product exactly. is never the same as you expect. And that's actually a great so um, leeway into you know, food having, service. Mm -hmm. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, for food service, like that's sort of the reception we're getting to from, you know, a lot of restaurants and cafes and, and you know, even like hotels that have banquets and stuff. They don't want to have to, you know, every time they have a different staff member on shift, you know, they're tweaking the recipe slightly or they're not following properly. And, you know, the, the end product is different. So 
Blender Bites actually has a massive application in the food service industry as well. Um, and we're really pushing pushing hard on that now that COVID's slowly starting to, you know, maybe come to an end here. So getting back on, on the train mm-hmm. with the food service um, and reaching out to, you know, different, you know, even airlines and stadiums. And I mean, there's the possibilities are quite endless on that side. So it's, uh, it's applicable for retail and food service. I was just going to say that, like with the, with the ease of use, like has the I guess more of the B two B side of the like you said, food services or some of the larger in like industry organizations. I've been a focus or was or was when I guess when launching the product was it always in was your initial idea more for individuals or did you have the idea of going to like restaurants or banquet halls or anything like that initially or did this kind of come from kind of seeing the changes in the market and individuals reaching out? Mm, yeah, I think I think. From day one, I kind of knew that, you know, there was going to be a, a major application in food service, um, especially because I used to, you know, I started to see like blends and waves and all these different retailers yeah. starting to offer smoothies on their menu. So, you know, I would actually go and, and purchase one and I'd ask to see the ingredient, like, what, you know, how are they making these smoothies? And they would just hand me this like tetra pack of syrup to read the ingredient deck. And I'm like, oh my gosh, really? And I would look at the ingredients and, you know, the first ingredients, cane sugar, second ingredients, like white grape juice, sugar. Like it was just like sugar, 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 60 grams of sugar per smoothie, but they're marketing it as this like super healthy green, Mm -hmm. you know, like better for you option. And really it wasn't, it was a pig in a wig. So that's kind of when I started to think, you know, okay, maybe blender bites would be a great fit for food service too. And so, um, you know, we actually did a, a trial with Waves at one point, which went really well. And um, and then COVID kind of hit and sort of, you know, we put mm-hmm. pause on that. But um, but yeah, no, for sure. And and with the labor shortages right now, too, which everyone is experiencing, mm-hmm. um, people just don't have capacity to have staff chopping up fruits and vegetables or mixing different things together in a recipe. So, mm-hmm. you know, Blender Bites is a solution on many fronts for, for food service. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I mean, because the journey has been quite amazing. A lot has happened within, especially the past few years. Was there anything that, uh, it's always an interesting question, but was there anything you found maybe easier than you thought it would be kind of starting a business? And was there anything that was surprising or a lot harder than you thought they kind of took advantage, that you took for granted before kind of really getting into the weeds with it? The hardest thing for us, and I think there's a lot of people that struggle mm-hmm. with this, and it's it's a really unfortunate thing in Canada, was the financial support from lending institutions and, you know, that first round of seed capital. Mm-hmm. Like if you're not doing three to five million in rev, like no fund mm-hmm. out there is going to look at you. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was sort of like, okay, well then how do I get my first initial, you know, capital to get this going? And if you look at, you know, shows like Dragon's Den, you see this all the time. People are mortgaging their homes two or three times and, you know, like bankrupting themselves on their ideas. And so I think for me, that was the hardest. Um, it took quite a, you know, a long time. And I finally found an angel investor that, you know, was a huge smoothie fan and just kind of, you know, realized that the potential for this product could be something major and, and took that risk on that initial capital. But, you know, that money doesn't go far. I, I started the company on $50,000, which is absolutely nothing. Um, mm-hmm. But so at the same time, you know, not paying myself. So you better have other streams of revenue coming in. So you're working basically two, three jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're being as resourceful as possible. You're doing, you know, a ton of grunt work and, and there's and there's no pay. Like I didn't take a salary for probably three, four years. And I bootstrapped and built Blender Bites while I was working my full-time job. So literally seven days a week, you know, 12, 13 mm-hmm. hours a day. So with that also comes sacrifice in your personal life, right? So, and, and a lot of people aren't willing to do that. I couldn't imagine, you know, some of these entrepreneurs that have kids and families and husbands and, you know, wives. It's just like, I couldn't, I don't think I could do that personally, but I've had to sacrifice a lot along the way. But, um, but yeah, going back to the, to that first, you know, that first check, I think is really hard for a lot of people. 
And, you know, with the success rate of, of entrepreneurship, I mean, I think the stat is about 95% of small businesses fail. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you are remortgaging your home or, or using your savings, like that could be life altering for a lot of people, right? So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that we start to see some, you know, some funds and some different uh, organizations that start to invest in the smaller scale, you know, innovation ideas that are turning out to be some of the best products in the market, but, you know, they need a hand up as well, you know? So, um, that was probably the hardest thing for me. Uh, the easiest thing, um, I don't know. I like, I just, I think for me, it was just, I just, I was born knowing that I was going to be an entrepreneur. Like it was something so innately inside me from a little girl you know, my mom used to say, Chelsea, you never used to play. Like I was, my pictures of me are sitting at a typewriter at five years mm-hmm. old typing away because I always just wanted to be working. Or my mm-hmm. Barbie dolls had, um, you know, travel agencies. They had a little office set up every day, power suits. Like it's just been in my, it's in, in my brain somehow. I was born with it. Mm-hmm. But um, so I found that, you know, building the business, although as hard as it is, like sort of nat- came very naturally to me. Um, and, and being an entrepreneur comes very naturally to me. So I think that was probably, you know, confirmation that I was born to do this, but, um, but it also takes a lot of grit, you know, like it takes a lot of, a lot of, uh, you know, you have to have a strong backbone and there's moments where I think a lot of people would have quit along my journey. Um, Mm -hmm. especially as we moved and scaled manufacturing, there was uh, a lot of difficulties with that, but, um, but yeah, I think it's just, uh, something that I was born to do. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's one of those things I think is that the journey is always like treacherous. There's always like curves in the rows. They always show you that graph where it's like success is not a straight line. There's mm-hmm. always like twists and turns, but at, at, no matter who you are, I mean, and I think at success in anything is like that, but you're always like, that's not going to be me. And then you, once you're in, you're like, well, okay, there was some twists and there were some bumps. There were some scrapes. It is a little yeah. bit difficult, but it's always in hindsight. You're like, okay, it all makes sense. But in the moment you're like, this is madness. This is crazy. Everything's going on. There's so many things to do. There's so many different roles you have, mm-hmm. like so many different hats you have to wear. Hats, I think exactly. Yeah. When yeah, I talk to not, a lot of, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. I was, was going to say, when I talk to like a lot of entrepreneurs, one thing they always touch on is like all the hats they have to wear. And people always hear that, but until you're in it, it's like, Oh, like how does accounting work or finance, like financing totally. or costing or like one of the big things, um, this would be kind of interesting to get your opinion on it was that like, one thing I always hear is always shocking is we were like, Oh, like as a CEO or founder, you have to be like the main salesperson. And like, mm-hmm. if you don't like selling, you better learn quick because <laughs> yeah. no one else is going to talk about your product better than you can. Mm-hmm. Did you find that like initially, like, was that a big challenge? Like getting out there, knocking on the doors, having those conversations or because in your other roles, you kind of have some of this experience talking mm-hmm. to distributors before. Was that not as big of a hurdle compared to some others? Yeah, no. And I think even at my role at Vega, I was, you know, I was in sales and marketing and inside sales and I was talking to consumers all day long and customers, you know, different accounts and stuff. So I've very much been in sales and, you know, different aspects of my career over the years. So that that wasn't too hard for me. And I think because I had those initial connections um, as a distributor rep, I had those buyers, you know, sort of as friends. I mean, it really is about the relationships you build. And I can say, you know, a major part of my success has been because I had built an incredibly strong network of people over the years. Um, and even, you know, taking Blender Bytes public this year, like the capital markets, which has been my background on and off for, you know, 15 years as well. You know, I, I actually found uh, two of my of my initial investors for Blender Bytes, um, you know, a long time ago, uh, doing IR for, for public companies back when I was like 24, right? But I built those strong connections that had paid tenfold later down uh, down the road in my life. So... Yeah, I think that's the thing I would stress, you know, the most is just like get out there and, and, and you know, go to the trade shows and network, 
networking is huge. I mean, your net, your network is really your net worth and it's mm-hmm. been, you know, it's paid, paid uh, dividends for me in my, in my, my career. Yeah. And the networking thing, I always even like, um, when you're younger, you, you hear a lot, especially with like early in your career, like, Hey, network, make yes. connections. And, everyone, and then, so it's very awkward and challenging when you start out. You're like, do they just ask the person the coffee? Like, how, how, how do I ask someone to like get their job? And it's always awkward. But then eventually realize everyone was in your position as well. They've all been there being asking someone being like, hey, how do I do what you do? Um, mm-hmm. But then it always it, always looking back, it's like it's the one, it's funniest thing. It's like I feel like the same thing with like um, anything else in life. It's like the simplest solution. People say like, oh, how like what can I do to be successful? Yeah. Almost everyone's like network. Yep. start a network start networking but it's very hard it's like the same thing when it's like how do i get in shape we'll work out but uh okay but like yeah. everyone will say something like be active eat healthy it's like very simple that yeah. it's simple to do but hard to execute and i think that networking is the same thing it sounds simple it's very easy but it is can be awkward can be challenging but it, like you said it pays huge dividends down the road because you never know really where your journey will end up and when you will cross paths with someone someone yeah. again but, exactly. Yeah. And even from my Vega days, uh, Mark Wilson, who was the the COO, the chief operating yeah. officer at Vega, and basically, you know, helped build Charles, uh, Charles build the company. Mm-hmm. Mark's actually on our advisory board now. So that's, you know, been a relationship for 12 years that, you know, you just, and, it, mm-hmm. and you just got to nurture the relationships and it's an investment. Like you're investing mm-hmm. in people just as much as you're investing in anything else in your life. So it takes work and it's, uh, you know, something you just, you just got to do if you want to have, um, mm-hmm. you know, success down the road. And that, and that was awesome. Uh, I, I just noticed that you, 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 with your um, kind of going a little public uh, earlier this year, wait, this yeah, year in like 2021 or 2022, like within the last 20 days? No, we went uh, public in September of 2021. Oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's been... Uh, Pretty exciting journey. I think, you know, I, I did that because I knew that building the U.S. market uh, was going to take a substantial amount of capital. And, you know, going public is a, you know, it gives you access to a large amount of capital yeah. pretty quickly. So um, and again, you know, I had been, you know, in the capital markets for many years uh, in different applications. And then my two first investors were capital market guys. So it just kind of felt like a, a natural mm-hmm. transition for us, um, which has been great and, and super exciting. And I think, you know, investors they want to invest in, in real companies. And there's a lot, especially in the junior markets in Canada, there's a lot of, you know, companies that don't really have anything yet, or, you know, they're saying they're going to, you know, dig a hole and find gold, but, you know, we actually have a real product and we have, uh, you know, real sales and real revenues and we're in Costco and sales are going, you know, phenomenally well. So they get to invest in something tangible, which is, uh, is always great for capital markets. And you touched on this before, and it's so true. Uh, speaking about like other businesses, like having sales solves a lot of issues and gets your foot in many doors. Like yeah. it one because it proves the product works. There's proves there's excitement and it's so much easier to raise or do anything off of because it's oh, like, totally. like you said, it's like, Hey, here is proof. There's proof in the pudding, another food yeah. analogy um, yeah. with it. But it's, it's, it's always like, you, but at the same time, I think it's one of those things where it's like, everyone knows you should get sales, but it's, it's yeah. challenging because it's difficult as well. And you get a lot of nose and a lot of doors put in your face and then it, a lot of times especially like a, you know like business is like a little bit like a child like you're protective yeah. of it and you want people to say no i don't like it so you're like okay oh yeah then, you gotta like get you over say, that real to, quick you gotta, you gotta have you push gotta it. get over that push it yeah. uh to get to get it totally. going but yeah, yeah. but well and that's I mean, why you know launching into costco east um so we launched into Ontario stores and obviously Costco likes to do trials. And uh, so, you know, very quickly they extended that into, you know, select stores in in Quebec and select stores in the Maritimes. And then very quickly they realized, hey, I think we want to, 
you know, make this uh, something that we can have on every shelf. So, you know, that for me was such a huge test. It was like, okay, so how is this going to perform at Costco? Mm-hmm. And tying that back into our last conversation um, about price point, you know, the price point yeah. at Costco, $15.99 for 12 pucks. That price point, you know, and the sales we're seeing, like that tells me that's our magic number. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just like, that's, it's such a good deal and such good value for, for the organic, you know, all the ingredients that we have. So it's almost like, mm-hmm. you know, dollar, just over a dollar for, you know, a smoothie. So it's incredible. Um, and, you know, the sales are reflecting that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously a lot going on, a lot of success. Kind of what does the next few years look for you? Kind of what's the next plan is the expansion for this space? Kind of what does the roadmap look uh, for at least, you know, next five years? Yeah, so we're pushing hard into the U.S. market right now. So a mm-hmm. lot of the review periods have started for the mar- lar- larger retailers like Target, uh, HEB, Kroger, mm-hmm. uh, Wegmans, Albertsons. So, you know, we're going to be having discussions with them, uh, which is super exciting. And then hopefully, you know, they're going to see some of the success we're having in Canada and reflect that into their own markets. Um, continuing to build Canada, as I said, you know, we've got more work to do at Costco and in Canada. We're actually going to be on shelf in, um, in in Costco stores in Texas next week. So, I mean, that's just mind boggling to me. It's just like this idea in my kitchen to the shelves mm-hmm. of Costco, Texas. Like I just don't even can't wrap my head around that. But that's so exciting for the company. And that's going to be, you know, one of our first divisions for Costco. Well, it is our first division for Costco in the U.S. So there's going to be a lot of uh, other divisions watching the success mm-hmm. of that. And so, you know, obviously building out, you know, other other divisions in, in the Costco um, in the U.S. Is, is very top of mind for us. We've got a direct-to-consumer platform that we're building out right now because we want to have the ability to ship, um, you know, directly to households in the U.S. I think that's very important. Mm-hmm. The, you know, grocery business has very much evolved to be online, and we want to capitalize on that. And then, as mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier, we've got our food service program that we're going to be initiating for, for different accounts as well. And, um, yeah, there's lots of growth ahead of us, that's for sure. So exciting. And if people want to... Follow along, learn more about what's the best way to kind of follow your journey. Yeah. Well, you can sign up for press releases. We put news out very frequently as a public company. So, um, you know, we've always got some sort of update coming out. Uh, Our website's just been updated. Uh, They can sign up um, on the investor section of our website right now, and we'll add you to the email list to keep up on, on all of our press releases that go out. And maybe just go out and try the product and uh, let us know what you think. 